especially the spoken word part, just thinking about it's not just Barabbas's place. Barabbas was someone who was released in place of Jesus, who should have been um, given the, the death penalty for murder and so forth. But when Pilate went before, or Jesus went before uh, Pilate, he gave the people two options. And he said, should I release Jesus to you or this murderer? And they said, well, we would rather release the murderer and, and you crucify him, crucify Jesus. And so Barabbas, he was, uh, he was released and he didn't have to suffer. But when I'm watching that and I'm listening, thinking it's not just Barabbas, that's me, right? That's me. And God's ministering to us this morning, isn't he? And he's talking to us. And I think he wants to continue to remind us of some things about how close he is and how much he cares for us as an individual, you personally. Sometimes Easter, is, it's a worldwide, you know, religious holiday. It's a, a Christian holy day. And uh, it's a day where many people will get together this afternoon and have a big meal and family comes together and so forth. And, and, and we can forget that beyond all of that stuff, there's a very personal Savior who wants to know you and know every, he already knows everything about you, but he wants you to know him as well. And so don't, don't think that this is just something bigger than, than just you. It's all about you. It's all about Jesus, but Jesus did it for us. The scripture says that uh, he went to the cross despising the shame but it was because of the joy set before him that he endured it. And the joy that was set before him was not getting it over with. You, turn to the person next to you, say you. You were the joy that was set before him. Well, today I, I just want to jump into the word and, I, and uh, just talk for, for a moment here. It might be a couple moments. <laughs> or it might be one long moment. But I want to look at a story that happens after the resurrection from the book of John, chapter 21. Now, we know that Easter is about Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins, being buried three days later, raising from the dead, giving us the promise of new life here, but eternal life ultimately with God in heaven. And I think it's so important to talk about that, but I want to talk about a little interaction that Jesus had after the resurrection with specifically one of his disciples. Um, in John chapter 21, this is at least several days after Jesus had risen from the dead. I don't know exactly how many days, but verse 1 of John chapter 21, and by the way, most of these scriptures will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, uh, but you can also just kind of write it down to go read it for yourself later on. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way, he showed himself to these seven disciples. He mentions verse 3, Simon Peter said to him, said to them, these seven disciples, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you. Now, this is after the resurrection. Jesus is alive <laughs> from the dead, he just appeared to all these guys a couple times by now. Several days later, 
Peter's sitting there saying, well, I'm going fishing. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, I'm just going to go fishing. I, I don't know what else to do. And he goes fishing. But I don't think it's just because Peter likes to go fishing. I think there was something going on on the inside that said, I'm going back to, look at this though. They said, we're going with you. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. What did they catch? Nothing. Now the scripture is interesting because it's pointing this out and it's referring back to the first time, the early days when Peter first met Jesus. And it's kind of a reference to a passage that you would find in Luke chapter 5. And so you can look there at, at Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and it, it tells us that, that Jesus was out preaching, and he's talking to the crowd, and the crowd gets really big, and so he's like, all right, uh, I need to back off a little bit. And verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. What did they catch? Nothing. You see, we're in this story in John 21, and you see Peter and Jesus talking, but, but you really have to go back to the early days of their relationship. And that's what it's referring you to because it's going to uh, bring something out about Peter that is so important in this conversation. But to really understand it, we got to look how this whole relationship started about three and a half years prior to that point. So this is when Peter really meets Jesus. This is when he really gets to know Jesus after he had spent his night fishing and catching nothing, which for some of us, some people say stupid things like this. I would rather be fishing and not catch anything than work. Not me. I'd rather be at work because of work. I'm accomplishing something. If I'm fishing, I want to be catching, right? I want to be catching. <laughs> I'm not just there to enjoy nature. I'll enjoy nature from my, you know, look in my backyard or something. I want to catch fish. And so these guys, though, they're not recreational fishermen. They are commercial fishermen. This is their livelihood. So what they're saying is we spent our whole night busting our butts, and we didn't bring in a dime. That's what they say. And, and, and I am not getting anywhere in this life right now. And so nevertheless, because you say, preacher, <laughs> to go do it, let's go ahead and, and go fishing. And it says, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the, both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. You know, when you let Jesus into your boat, he can change things, right? Where you've been really ineffective, he can suddenly make things work. And sometimes we wonder why things aren't working. And then we look around, we realize I'm in this boat all by myself and you need to let Jesus in your boat. And so this is what Peter did. And when he recognized that, he recognized, oh, Jesus, you're Lord and, and I'm a sinful man and, and I need to repent. I need to change. I want what you've got. I want to grab a hold of that. 
somebody would say, uh, that's me, right? That, that's what I, I want to do as well. And so verse 11 says this, or verse 10 says, Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men, verse 11. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So from this point, when Peter meets Jesus, he sees the power of God in Jesus' life. And he starts to recognize something's different about you. So much so that though you being in my boat helped me catch so many fish, suddenly Peter's rich. You know, he just had a windfall in his business right there. But he looked at that and said, it's not about the number of fish and the the provision that came in with that. I recognize it's not the fish I need, it's you. So much so that Peter said, he didn't say this, Jesus, stay with me in my boat all the time. Let's catch lots of fish. We will run this lake. He didn't say that at all. He really said this instead. He said, I don't, I don't even care about that stuff. He left everything and began to follow Jesus. So this is, this is the beginning of their relationship, and Peter is dedicated to Jesus. As he gets to know him and spend more time with him, he sees Jesus doing the miracles. He sees Jesus healing people. He sees Jesus and listens to the words that he's speaking, and he realizes there's nobody like this. And he recognizes there's something different about him. In fact, when Jesus took his disciples, who Peter became one of them, took him up to a place where there was, uh, it was known for, for demon worship. And Jesus took him right in the midst of that. And, and it was known as a place where people worship many different gods. And Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And some of them said, well, you know, you might be Elijah the prophet, or you might be someone, you know, one of the other prophets or this guy resurrected. But Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts out, he says, oh, I know exactly who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And in Matthew chapter 16, God, or Jesus says to him, he says, Peter, this right here, this isn't something that you came up with on your own, but you heard that from God. That came from God the Father, and you are right. Jesus, you see, G, G, Peter recognized about Jesus that Jesus was the one that all creation was waiting for that the entire Old Testament of the Bible was pointing to, that he, he's not just a good teacher who has power, but he's the son of God, and he's the one who is anointed or set apart by God to, to not just do great things, but to save the world. And Peter's recognizing this right here. And Peter, right then, he gets so committed to Jesus, and he's so zealous that when Jesus takes him a little bit later and says, listen, guys, we've got to head to Jerusalem, because when we get there, then they're going, to, they're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, and then they're going to kill me. And Peter takes him aside. He's like, Jesus, far be it from you to, that this would ever happen to you. Like, there's no way that that's going to happen. Like, he sees the power of God on Jesus, and Peter is committed to not letting that happen. And the problem is he doesn't recognize the overall plan. So Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so Peter kind of gets humbled a little bit right after Jesus, you know, praises him and says, hey, you're hearing from God. Next thing you know, he's like, now you're listening to the devil. You know, there's ups and there's downs in all of our lives. And Peter, he's experiencing this right now. But nevertheless, I mean, this guy is full on all about Jesus and taking over the world. Like, this is going to happen. 
This is going to happen in his lifetime, and he's going to be part of it. So he gets to watch all of this. And uh, oh man, was he committed to watching Jesus succeed. But he still didn't understand the big picture. Even after Jesus said multiple times that he's going to be arrested, he'll be betrayed, arrested, crucified. But even then, he would raise from, be raised from the dead. Peter didn't totally get all of that. I, I can relate to Peter sometimes. Uh, when Jesus finally told him, hey, it's going to happen like real soon here. Um, Peter, Peter said, if you look here in Matthew chapter 26, Peter said, no way. This here, I will never let any, anything happen to you. Verse, chapter 26, verse 31 says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said, this night, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to, to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if everybody is made to stumble because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the other disciples. He was so committed that when they went out to pray that night, Peter packed his sword just in case something happened. And when they're out there and, you know, Peter kind of falls asleep in his commitment to the Lord when Jesus is praying, but Jesus wakes him up a couple times. Then they're out there and something weird happened. Something weird happened for Peter. He's sitting there and, and, and Jesus is praying. He's out in the open. It's late at night. Peter's supposed to be on watch. He's got his sword ready. He's going to protect Jesus. He's committed to seeing whatever, you know, Jesus come and, and, and rule from Jerusalem. He's committed to all of this stuff. He's committed to seeing this thing go on forever. And then he sees in the distance little lights and he starts to hear some noise. And then it gets louder and the lights get more and more and closer. He realizes it's torches. And it's guys coming out, and it's a whole crowd, and they're coming out to arrest Jesus. They come out to Jesus, and uh, they getting close, and Peter pulls out a sword, and he takes a swipe at one of them. The Bible says he cut the guy's ear off, but I don't think he was aiming for the ear. I think he was aiming for the neck. And he's ready to go down fighting, but no one else pulls their sword out. Jesus doesn't get into position. In fact, he reaches out his hand, and he heals the guy. And that's why I say this is where things get weird for Peter, because he had expectations of this whole ministry thing, kingdom thing, going a whole lot further than it was. Peter had laid down everything, gave up everything to follow Jesus. And now, things aren't quite working out the way he expected. Jesus not only heals the guy that Peter <laughs> was trying to kill, but then he he willingly lets them arrest him, and he doesn't even put up a fight. All the disciples began to scatter at this point. As they start taking Jesus away, if you read in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says, Peter followed at a distance. See, the very first thing that, that 
Jesus really said to Peter was, follow me, and he did. And he, was, he stuck right by his side the whole time, the whole time, all the way up to this point. But then the scripture points out that, Jesus, that Peter, he's still following Jesus, but now he's following from a distance, from a distance. There's just a little bit of a distance between him and me because he didn't exactly meet my expectations. He didn't keep the thing going in my life that I thought he would. I thought things would turn out different, so I'm not going to walk away from him. I'm not going to abandon him. I'm just going to follow Jesus from a distance. And so he follows him from a distance. He backed off. It was a loose commitment that he had to the Lord. Things go from bad to worse for Peter as he's watching Jesus get hauled away. They take him, they strip him, they beat him, they mock him, they spit in his face, they punch him, they take a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. He's sitting there in the courtyard, kind of on the outskirts, but within viewing distance to see all this happen. But as he's doing that, one of the servant girls from the, the house or the place says, you're one of them. No, I'm not. Comes back later. I could tell you're with him. Mm-mm, I'm not with him. And then the scripture says this, that she comes back a third time and she says, surely your speech betrays you. You sound just like these other guys. And at that point, he's like, my speech betrays me? Well, I'll give you some words. And the Bible says he starts cussing. <laughs> he, starts, he starts cursing. I swear I don't know her. And, and you know, the apostle Peter, the first pope or whatever, he's cussing. You know, he wasn't the first pope. But anyways, he's sitting there and, and he's clearly trying to deny any association with Jesus because he's watching this all-powerful, strong friend, savior, Lord, teacher that he's looked up to be treated like a doormat. He's weak. He's impotent. He, he, is, he is sitting there and he's letting these people uh, abuse him. And his world is being rocked because he can't understand what's happening right now. I gave my life for this and you just lay yours down and say, okay, kill me. Like I told you, I'm ready to fight and I proved it to you. I said, I'll die with you. And then you, it's almost like you turn your back on me and I've given you everything and you're doing nothing. And now here I am having to, to speak for myself and defend myself, and you're not doing anything to stand up for yourself or us. The scripture says this, that that third time that Peter denied Jesus, and as he was cussing while he did it in Luke chapter 26, verse 61 interesting because the rooster crows, 22 verse 61, sorry, the, the, the rooster crows, and it says this, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So all this is going on, and Jesus is being beaten, and he's surrounded by all these people. Then he hears the rooster crow, and he, he knows Peter, and he makes eye contact with him. All this stuff going on. 
and he's thinking about Peter. Thinking about Peter denying him. Someone who said, I'm laying my life down to follow you, Jesus. I'm giving up everything. And on Jesus' mind, while he's getting ready to go to the cross, is Peter, who's following him at a distance, and he looks at him. And I don't think that, that Jesus looks at him and, with a disgust. I think that Jesus is looking at him because he loves him, and his heart hurts for Peter. Peter doesn't get the big picture. He doesn't have an eternal perspective. Peter's thinking about Peter. Peter's thinking about his own life, his own ways, his own understanding. Verse 62 says, 61 said that Peter remembered the words. And so verse 62 says, he went out and he wept bitterly. He hated himself for it. He hated that he did that. And on the inside, he wanted to serve God. He wanted to follow Jesus. And he didn't know why he felt the way he felt or why he was doing what he did. He knew he wasn't where he needed to be with God. He should have been right up there with him saying, you're going to take him, take me too. Take me too. I should have laid my life down instead of fighting and backing off. I should have given it my all, all the way to death. I'm ready to die, and now here I am saying, I don't even know him. How can that happen within a matter of moments? If you follow the story, Jesus soon after gets crucified, hanging on the cross. He's buried. Three days go by. News of the resurrection happens. Jesus appears first to some ladies. They go and tell the disciples. Disciples don't believe him. Peter's one that runs to the grave. There's no Jesus. The grave is empty. It goes back. The disciples are scared. They, they kind of know, but they don't totally understand what else happened. Finally, Jesus appears to them all, including P Peter. In fact, he appears several times. Jesus, this, this night was the last night that, last time that G uh, Peter would see Jesus until after the resurrection. He didn't go and see him on the cross. He didn't watch all that. He left. When Jesus and Peter see each other, though, it's not the same anymore. Peter knows that Jesus is alive. He knows that Jesus is alive. He saw this starting to happen. He knew this story. He knew that he was buried. He knew where they laid him. He knew all of that. And now Jesus is alive. And he's in the midst with Peter, and Peter sees him several times, but it's not the same anymore because Peter is still at a distance from Jesus. He's still, he believes that, he, that he's the Lord. He believes he's the Son of God. He believes he's the Christ. He believes he's the Savior of the world. He believes he's alive and alive forevermore. He believes all of that. He sees it. But in his heart, there's still a distance. And so Peter decides to go fishing. <laughs> Why else would he go back to his old life even though he knows for certain that Jesus is alive? Why else would he go back to that old way of living, those old things, those 
frenemies. They used to be your friends, but they're really your enemy, but you keep going back to them. Why would he go back to these things? This empty way of living is what fishing really represents for Peter. This fruitless life, this life before Christ. Why would he go back to that if there wasn't a distance? He knew Jesus is alive. You think that would change everything for him. But it didn't. It didn't quite change everything because though he knew and he believed, I mean, he saw with his own eyes, there was still something unsettled in his heart. And Jesus had to deal with that. And so that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 21. Would you look back over there with me in your Bible or on the screen? We see this. Jesus, he's on the shore. No one knows that it's Jesus, but Jesus asks them that question that every fisherman hates to be asked. Hey, guys, have you caught anything? <laughs> when you haven't, they say no. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. How does the guy from shore know that? So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. See how this is all referring back? It's tying it together. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and then he plunged into the sea. The other disciples were smarter is what he's really saying here. And it says that they came in the little boat at dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. So Jesus already had fish set up. He's like, all right, you can bring some of your fish too. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Beforehand, it's, it's pointing out that the net's broken. Now he's saying that the net wasn't broken. Here we, we're, we're getting back to the place where Jesus is restoring him. He's setting things right again. This is what I love about Jesus. He's the God of second chances and 7,000th <laughs> chances as well. He's the God who, keeps get, who never gives up on us. And so here he is, and it points out even how many fish, like not one was lost, and they were big fish. And it's, it's just telling us that when Jesus is involved in your life, he changes things, right? He's restoring right here. And so Jesus said to him, come and eat breakfast. Verse 15, actually verse 14 says, now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is where I really want to get to as I'm closing. Verse 15 says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I don't know if he's pointing to the other disciples or is he pointing to the fish. Do you love me more than, than this way of life? Do you love me more than your past? He asked him this question. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. First time he said, feed my lambs. Second time, tend my sheep. Verse 17, then he said to him the third time, Simon, 
son of Jonah, do you love me? By the way, you've probably heard this if you've been around church for a while, that in the Greek language, which this is written in originally, that there's multiple words that we just translate as love. So there is this like covenant love that Jesus is saying, like, like, do you love me? Peter is using a different word when he responds to him and says, yes, I love you, but it's kind of like friendship. Like, yeah, I like you a lot. So you know when you, when you have that, that person you really are committed to in life, like, like, I absolutely love you, and I would do anything for you. And you know other people, like, I love you. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll help you out if you really need something. You know, there's that difference, right? And, and that's how Peter is answering Jesus. He's saying, I like you. <laughs> yeah, I love you. I mean, if you really need something. And then the fi- that's why Jesus keeps asking him. And the third time, Peter settles it in his heart. You know what? Verse 18 again, or verse 17, says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He was grieved because he realized, oh, man, I'm struggling with that. Struggling with it. Because I'm thinking back to that night when I denied you. I'm thinking back to how I gave you my, my everything, and now I've given you squat. And I can't even bring it up in my heart to follow you with everything I've got. It's not there anymore. But Jesus presses in. And Peter says, Jesus, you know I love you. From everything in here, I love you. I love this because it's Jesus restoring Peter. He said, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. I think that's interesting because he doesn't say, then really be committed. Then really walk righteously. Then really like demonstrate it by your devotion to me. All of that stuff would be right. But the plan of God in Peter's life was not just to have this personal, private relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep, take care of my people. Be committed to them on my behalf. And don't disconnect yourself from them. I want you to feed them. I want you to provide. I want you to care for. I want you to lead. I want you to teach. I want you to to serve. I want you to follow my example. If you really love me, He's talking to Peter, and I love this because Jesus has a talk with Peter, but he doesn't join his pity party. He goes straight to the bottom line, Peter, do you love me? And Peter had to settle in his heart as to whether he really loved the Lord or not. And once he reaffirmed that, Jesus told him that he needs to get back on track and be fully committed to the plan of God for his life. Peter couldn't allow the disappointment, discouragement, the disillusionment, <laughs> whatever he felt with everything not working out the way he expected it to pull him back from Jesus and the ministry that he had called him to. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell him this. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, 
you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by what death that Peter would glorify God. And then when he had spoken this, by the way, Peter eventually was killed for his faith in Jesus. And the story goes that he, when he was about to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be killed like my Lord. Hang me upside down. And they crucified him upside down. Jesus is telling him, this guy who's discouraged, this guy, by the way, we don't say, I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. I'm disillusioned. You know what we say? I'm busy. You know what we say? Hey, I've got a lot of things going on right now. It's just not a good time. You know what we say? As soon as I get this together over here, then I will be fully committed. You know what we say? Well, once my career is established, once I'm married, once my family, once this season is over, this sports season, this busy season, this whatever, we don't say, I'm discouraged, I'm disappointed, I really wished God was moving more in my life or things worked out. We say this, we say, it's just not the right time. It's just not the right time. Guys do this more than anyone. Girls actually use their words that mean something, you know, they express this. But guys were like, yeah, yeah, I just, I can't right now. All right, Peter. You know, Jesus doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't get into all the stuff and the psychology and let me nurse it. And oh, your mommy wasn't there for you and your daddy disappointed you and all this stuff. He's like, bottom line, Peter, you're going to die. Settle this in your heart. Do you love me or not? Because if you don't have this settled in your heart, you're not going to make it. And I love that because sometimes Jesus is the little Jesus with the lamb, but sometimes he's taking you out to the woodshed and he's saying, be a man, be strong or be a woman, but be strong. This is what I love about Jesus is he gets to the point with Peter. And I believe that Jesus is here today saying that to some of us, that maybe there was a time in your life, by the way, where you met Jesus and you decided to follow him and you laid everything down and you said, this is great. This is what I want to go after. And you really committed yourself to him. Maybe in your heart, you made some real strong decisions and then things didn't work out the way you expected. He didn't answer the prayers that you wanted him to answer. Things didn't happen. So-and-so left you and, and you know, grandma uh, had this struggle and she was faithful and it didn't work out for her. And then this pastor was mean and the usher, he gave me a bad look and someone didn't say, like my Instagram or whatever it was. And you're all messed up on the inside. And Jesus comes along, and he doesn't just nurse all that, though he will help with that, but he says, let's settle something first. Do you love me? Not like me, not, yeah, if you need something, Jesus, someday. But he gets right to the heart and says, come on, make this decision. Stop being on the outside looking in. Maybe life doesn't work out the way you expected. You still believe, but you've gone fishing. By the way, I, I see people who are so gifted, graced, talented, and they're busy. That's why I say, I think this is so, so interesting that Jesus didn't say, be really committed in your private life to me. He said, serve my people. That's what he said. 
Jesus wants to have a direct conversation with us. Do you love me? Show it by loving my people. Things are going to get tough for you. And you can't go through all this ups and downs and, oh, I'm in, I'm out. Oh, I'm offended. Oh, you know, I'm hurt. Oh, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. You have to go to Jesus. You have to be strong. You have to know that a, a, a love that, that goes deeper than a like is the only thing that's going to carry you through the hard times in life. And bottom line, though, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. The Lord is with me. We go through hell. That's right. We're going to go through and we're going to come out on the other side. The Lord is with me. Things are going great. Thank God for that season. Devil throws everything he can at me. That's all right. The Lord's my shield, right? I'm going to, I'm going to having done all, stand. I'm going to having done all, stand. And I feel like the Lord might even say that to some of us today that have backed off and are following Jesus at a, at a distance. You believe, but he's saying, now is the time, now is the time to jump in wholeheartedly to my plan for you personally, yes. My plan for you and my kingdom, yes. Sometimes we want to know what's God's plan for my life. That's sometimes the wrong question. The real question is, what's God's plan in life? How can I be part of that? And you are trying to get God to be part of your life when he's trying to get you to be part of his plan. <laughs> and that's what he does with Peter. Get back into my plan. I want to take an opportunity. I know that's like a strong way to end an Easter service. Hey, hallelujah. I want to get into a, a, a take a time to go before the Lord and to do some business with him. Because I believe it's as if Jesus is sitting us down before, before the coals of fire with the fish, saying, do you love me more than these? Let's bow our heads as the worship team comes forward. And then we're going to take time just to celebrate in just a second <laughs> these things that Jesus has done. But let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and uh, we are thankful for your word. Would you, church family, as you're sitting there with your eyes closed and heads bowed, would you respond to God? Maybe you would say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? I want to ask you while you're, you're sitting there to think about how does this message apply to you? Is there in any way uh, that God is speaking to you that maybe you've been following at a distance? The point is not to make you feel bad about it. The point is to call you in closer and that Jesus is doing exactly that. He's saying, I gave my life for you. Will you give yours to me? Will you give yours for me? Maybe there's a past you have that at one point you did commit to Jesus and now you've backed away. Would you just simply say, God, forgive me, I'm coming home. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never given your life to him. You need him to come in and, and change things. You want him to forgive you, to save you. You want to know that you have 